my name is Julie Turney, and this is the HR Sound Off Podcast Show, the show created for HR and business professionals to discuss pertinent topics and trends as it relates to our professions. We're going to have amazing conversations with HR professionals from all over the world, get to learn their origin stories. How did they get into this profession? What do they love about being here? And how they want to set the record straight on that one misconception that really drives them crazy about our profession. Are you ready? I'm ready. Then let's sound off. Hi everyone, my name is Julie Turney and welcome to this special edition of the HR Sound Off podcast show. Why is this special? Because there are a couple new things that are happening here. I'm trying it on a new platform, but I'm also interviewing a guest who I have been trying to reach out to, to have on the show for some time now. And I know she's such a super busy person. So I really do appreciate her taking the time to be here. Today, I wanted to have a serious conversation about what it's like to experience racial trauma in the workplace, but what it's like to also experience that trauma and feel like you're not quite getting the support that you need from HR. You guys know I'm not afraid to have those serious conversations. Who better to have this conversation with today? None other than Minda Hartz. Minda, welcome to the show. Julie, honored to be here with you. Thank you for, for using your voice for, for good in the HR space. So really happy to be here. It's such a pleasure to have you. I really do appreciate it. You know, as I was saying to you just before we started recording, I read the memo at least twice. And I think it's one of those books that's going to fall into that category of the book you should read every single year. But I purchased right within a few months ago, started reading this book and I could not put it down. And I really wanted to take this opportunity to number one, say to you before we get started, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to write this book, to share your stories, to pour your heart, but not only that, but to give practical suggestions for how people can heal from this kind of trauma, because it's one thing to write about it, feel it, sit in it, but it's another thing to process it. And I want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. And thank you for reading it because it's not an easy book to read. For it's sure. not. It's <laughs> not. Actually, it kind of, it put some memories back into me. And I felt like things that I, as you mentioned in the book, sometimes you think you've healed from certain traumas, but then you get triggered again. And reading this book triggered me so much. Um, and I had to take some time to kind of heal from that. So yeah, it is not an easy book to read, but thank you for writing it. I want to give you the opportunity to, to tell our audience, especially those who may have never met you before. Although if you've never met Minda before, you've got to be living under a rock, but just in case you're not, just <laughs> tell our audience, who is Minda Hearts? Who are you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, again, thank you for having me. Uh, uh, I'm Minda. I spent 15 years um, previously as a, in corporate America as a consultant. And then a couple years ago, I decided, you know what? Um, I don't want to just survive in the workplace. I want to thrive. And I don't want to just be the only one thriving. I want to make sure that we're highlighting the experiences of women of color, black and brown women. And um, I wanted to change the way the workplace works for us. And so um, I decided to create my own company and then create content around the conversations that affect women of color in the workplace. And then 
um, had the, the privilege of putting out my first book, The Memo, and then Right Within, and my recent book, You Were More Than Magic, and, and I teach part-time at NYU Wagner. Thank you so much for sharing that. You're so, you're definitely a truly busy woman. And I know <laughs> that you're just taking a brief break off of your recent book tour. Um, so I want to thank you again for taking the time to have this conversation. Why is it that I know you've just mentioned in your intro a little bit about why it is that you do what you do. But why are you so passionate about having this conversation around workplace toxicity and more about, I guess, why now? Yeah, well, the the main thing is that we've normalized workplace toxicity. Right? Yeah. We just t told ourselves that this is the way it is for us. If you're, especially if you're a woman, if you're, um, you know, from a marginalized community, we just say this is how work works for us. And it's like, that's a shame because we have yeah. colleagues who get to go to work and do the best work of their career, not being aggressed, right? And I think that because we've normalized it, we don't know what good looks like, what mm -hmm. healthy could look like. And I really just wanted to um, disrupt our thinking about the experiences that we think we have to push through. And, and, and I believe that we can heal ourselves, but also the workplace needs to be healed and trust needs to be rebuilt amongst our leaders and HR practitioners with those who have been harmed in the workplace. Yeah, definitely. It's such a difficult conversation though, right? What made you decide now was the time for you to write right with it? Yeah, you know, Julie, when I first, um, I thought that the memo would be the only book I wrote, to be honest, mm -hmm. um, because I'm like, you know what? There aren't any books like this out there. Mm -hmm. I've opened up the, cracked the door open and, you know, others can kind of go with it from there. And then mm -hmm. The more that I received emails and direct messages and, you know, met people along the way, I realized that there was one common theme that I was meeting different folks yeah. and inside myself. And it was that people are still hurt. Yeah. Even if that happened, the situation happened 15 years ago, 40 years ago, last week, people mm -hmm. are still holding on to that. And I realized that we're not free. Yes. On law by law many of us are right we can walk yeah. in this world but we are held captive to our experiences inside the workplace and i just wanted mm -hmm. to let people know that there's an alternative if we choose yeah. and but we first have to acknowledge it and name it because for so long in the workplace i never even called my experiences racism i was mm -hmm. scared to say racism or sexism yeah. because i knew what that could be mean for me you know it would can jeopardize my job and that's a shame that you know, we give the best of our day to various places that don't center the experiences to make it safe for everybody. And I really wanted to, you know, use my microphone to be able to say, hey, just because we all work at the same place doesn't mean we're experiencing the workplace the same. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's not even it's not even a case of um, my perception, my reality, right? It is your perception and it is the reality. And like you said, a lot of us don't name it. We don't own it because of mm -hmm. what it means to name it and own it and sit in it. Um, and the discomfort that comes with it, not just for you, the person experience it, but the people who you are trying to hold accountable to make it better. Yep. It's Absolutely. Such a, yeah. It's such a struggle, right? And it takes a measure of bravery. I could understand why you 
you'd say like the memo would be your one and only book and then blaze the trail for other people to come and have that conversation. But I'm glad that you saw the gap and chose and chose to fill it. Now, I don't want you to share any of your stories because I, I really want people to read the book. I want people <laughs> to read the book. But I do want you to share from a place of, as an employee, sitting in the workplace, experiencing these things, was there ever a moment in any of your experiences where you felt like, I know you talk in your book about, you know, going to EOC or HR to get help, but do you feel at any point that HR failed you as an employee? Unfortunately, I, I hate to say the, the answer is yes. Um, mm -hmm. In one particular situation that I write about in the memo and right within, uh, I had a toxic coworker that was causing me a lot of trauma in the workplace. And mm -hmm. But I couldn't name it at that point. I just knew that I was not being treated fairly. And it was causing me um, distress in the workplace very visibly. And I could not, I didn't feel like I could go to HR because she was very good friends with the person that was causing the, the trauma. And mm -hmm. so when you have situations set up like that, it makes it very difficult because, you know, in HR should be able to serve the way that they're supposed to. I know that we often say this is, a you know, for people, but oftentimes we know that uh, HR doesn't always feel like they have the power to be able to do the right things, too. So I understand mm -hmm. it's the nuances of it. But when ethics is concerned, I should have been able to go to HR regardless of the relationship that that person had with the person causing me trauma because they should be able to separate the two. You can be friends with someone outside of work, but your job is to protect me. Right? Exactly. I'm harmed at work, right? This yes. isn't happening at happy hour. This isn't happening down the road. This is happening at my job, right? Yes. And so I, I think it's really important for HR to understand that um, if that's, if, if, if I can't go here, where can I go? And if yeah. there isn't a place to go, then this company is not safe for any of us, right? So I think no. we have to we have to name that, right? But I think for yes. so long we haven't really wanted to shake shake that up even, and so no. it's just it's important conversation to have. Yeah, I, it breaks my heart, honestly, as an HR professional to kind of you know to hear you say that, but I own it. Not just knowing that it's not something that I've ever done or I've ever experienced, and I hope people always will feel safe to come and have conversations with me. I, but it hurts to know that I sit in a profession where things like this happen and people don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And at such a crucial, critical point where an employee feels bullied, is being made feel less than, and it kind of makes me also question one of the things that I've always thought about in terms of like, can you really be friends with with employees when you sit in in such a critical role like HR to the point that you would hold a bias against another employee if they had a problem with your friend? Friendship aside, you should be able to do your job as you as you said. And when you can't do that, then the question becomes for me, is HR the right place for you? as an individual, um, because your responsibility is to create safe spaces. And if you can't do that, then you really need to start thinking differently about your HR career and whether or not you do have a place here or not. Does that sound fair? I think that's fair. And, and I think, you know, part of it is saying, 
do we want to make the workplace better than we found it, right? And it it requires courage for someone to say, you know what, I can't do that, right? It's hard for me to be friends with someone and write them up or bring them into the office. And if that's the case, then let's find you another role to do because we need brave souls inside of HR who's willing to keep it safe and um, be on the right side of history. Yeah, definitely. You make some recommendations about healing. First of all, you you made a very interesting point that I I made an I made a highlight of it. Like I've been marking up your book. I'm sorry, Minda. <laughs> That's what it's for. That's what it's for, Julie. <laughs> um, but you made a really good point about knowing the difference between if you are healing or is it posturing? Mm-hmm. Not the word used, but. I didn't even know there was a difference. Like I didn't even know on my journey to healing, there are other places that I'm going to go that I really need to understand if I'm actually healing. And I love the way you keep asking that question. Do you want to heal? Are you open to looking at different ways of healing? And that you asked it right through. You made me feel so safe to be even... Sometimes I sat down, read this book, and I would be like, you know, Minda, I'd be having my own conversation with you. <laughs> in the book because I just, you know, it's so important for people to recognize that a lot of times we sit in feelings and we think we don't, we don't heal. What are your recommend? What were some of the recommendations you want to talk about here in terms of like healing? Yeah, you know, the the main thing is that healing is not a one time event, but a lifestyle. Right. You know, I was in corporate America for 15 years just because I left it didn't mean I was automatically healed. Right? I had a, yeah. every day I was yeah. stressed at work. So I haven't been an entrepreneur for 15 years yet. So it's not even equal. Right. So yeah. four years out, you know, solely by myself. And every day there are certain things that I might that might trigger me. Right. Mm-hmm. And I have to remember what are my tools. And so the first part of it before I can even heal, because let's be honest too, Julie, that right now the word healing and self-care, those are very popular words to say, right? But it takes a lot of courage to acknowledge what has harmed you, name it, and then decide I'm going to use these tools to get to what freedom feels like for me. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I think that the the importance of healing is not just so that we can release ourselves of any inequality that we've experienced inside the workplace, but then also for our future endeavors, right? Because if we're holding on to all of this trauma that we've experienced at every other workplace with every other manager, then we're going to just take that baggage into the next job. And it may or may not, it might be a safe environment for us finally, but we've been hurt and harmed that we can't even acknowledge, we can't even enjoy this new environment. And then, and secondly, it's the people who love us the most, who want to work with us Mm -hmm. and they don't get the best of us when we are Mm -hmm. harmed. And that's when I realized that I was never, ever in my career, the angry black woman, that, that stereotype, but when yeah. I go home, the people who love me the most, they might get an angry window, right? Because I had to deal with all this stuff every day. So I'm like, I, I do have to realize that I want to be the healthiest version of myself. And I can't be healthy if I'm not healed. That's it. That is it. You know, when you were saying that, it reminded me of something that Tyler Perry said. 
in one of his plays, I think it was Diary of a Mad Black Woman. And he was saying, you know, a lot of times as women, we go, God, give me a good man, give me a good man. And you've had so many bad experiences with bad men that you don't know when you get a good man. You don't know what that looks like. You don't know what that feels like because you've never had it before. And you take all the pain and the hurt that you've had in those past relationships and you pass it on to this good man that you've asked God for. And now here you sit in your misery because you didn't know how to work with a good man. And the same is true with, you know, as you said, with organizations and we want to work in an organization where we're respected, where we're appreciated, where we're engaged and we feel like we belong and we get that. But because we've been in so many toxic spaces and we've not healed from it or owned it or processed it, then we don't know how to heal or deal with our new environment where people actually want to engage with us and want us to you know give us a space where we belong and we can be creative and innovative i definitely appreciate that definitely well thank you for saying that i I also want something that you said is that part of that healing and unpacking for ourselves is also saying that not every HR department is horrible. Not every HR is toxic, right? But if we've had past experiences with HRs that have failed us, then we just look at every, we cast a wide broad stroke against HR departments. And I still believe that HR is necessary and important uh, work and, and practitioners like yourself, we, we need you, but Mm -hmm. if we're harmed, we're never going to see the value that HR brings if we, if yeah. we don't heal. Right. It, it's so true, so true. But thank you for saying that because it's one of my biggest soapboxes is you just, you know, you shouldn't paint all HR practitioners with the same brush because we're not all <laughs> the same. There are a lot of us out there doing great work, really love what we're doing and really want to protect, you know, the people that we serve. Like, I believe I serve people. I don't laud my role over anyone. And there are a lot of us who feel that too. So thank you very much for saying that because we really do try our best <laughs> to make sure we do create safe spaces for people. What, what was, would you say was the hardest part about your healing journey personally? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the first part was acknowledging that I had been harmed, right? Because I kept thinking that it was me, that mm-hmm. I wasn't doing something right, you know, um, and thinking that I was deficient or, you know, uh, in certain ways in the workplace that I created these things, like I need to do something different. And, uh, once I realized that it wasn't me, uh, it, but I had a role in if I'm going to let this ha- continue to happen to me or not. Right. And so yeah. I think first was acknowledging. And then number two was what was I going to do about it once I did acknowledge it? Right? Yeah. So, um, sometimes we're not able to leave the environment that we're in right away, but we can start to create boundaries and safeguards for ourselves, even if someone else or the you don't work with maybe an HR department that you feel comfortable going to or a manager, but there are tools within ourselves, And I think redefining our power to say a lot of my career, Julie, I did not think I had a voice to be able to Mm. say when something was happening to me that I didn't like or pointed out. So I just swept it under the rug and just kept trying to get to five. And I realized that I did myself a disservice. And so what role did I play in participating in my own oppression? 
So I could mm. not continue to say, oh, it's Carrie's fault or it's James's yeah. fault. Yes, they did have a role to play, but I also had a role to play. You and I think part yourself. of that <laughs> was me saying, oh, wow, uh, here's some things that I could have done differently too to help support myself, right? I was waiting on somebody else to save me, but I yeah. always had the power to, to save myself. Mm, that's powerful to be able to sit in that and own that like first of all do you recognize that even though you experience that trauma that the trauma is as a result of a form of abuse mm -hmm. right racism in itself is a, is a form of abuse and if it's something that's continuously happening to you but understanding that the part that you could have played to change this story, even just a little bit for yourself. That's huge. I think a lot of people get to that space though, Minda. You know, no, I don't, because I think we haven't seen it role modeled and know what it really looks like for yeah. that. And that's why I'm so vocal about it because I, I didn't have necessarily a position of power. I wasn't, you know, the CEO or CEO. CEO yeah. of the place that I worked at, right? All I had was my voice. I just had to decide how I wanted to use it. And I tell that to every chance I get, because sometimes we feel like we need a credential or we need yeah. a promotion or we need to be at the table before we could say mm. our piece. And it's like, no, dignity, equity, humanity, respect, you should get that day one, right? Yes. That's table stakes, right? And I think that we have to see ourselves in that way. And in the moment that we acknowledge that we are good enough to deserve that in every environment we're in, then people who engage with us, they understand that this is the boundary that Minda and Julie have created for herself. Yeah. And I think that you, because we all know, I, I think we've all worked with people where you're like, you know what? I wouldn't, I know not to fool around with that person. Right. You know, <laughs> you know, I, some people would never say, they might say the thing to me at work, but they would never say it to James, you know, because they know James is not playing that game. With exactly. <laughs> so we, we have to, uphold some of that same energy and say, you know what, why do people think that they can just say that to me in a meeting and then I'm just going to sit there because they're used to me just sitting there, right? Yeah. Again, we have to decide what we want to do. And for me, it was saying, I don't want another black or brown person to have to keep experiencing this because, yes. I do, because I'm cautious, right? Yeah. So not all of us are going to be that person to kind of quote unquote, shake the table, but shaking the table is dismantling the system. And if we all see it, that we're all part of the change, then I think that we can change the way the workplace works for everyone. Yeah. I don't remember who said it, but be the change that you want to see. Yes. Essentially. If you want to see change, then you've got to be the change. And when you do that, then you see how the behavior then becomes model behavior that other people go, okay, yes, we will not. We will not tolerate this and we will not tolerate that. I think we see a lot of that in, in Gen Z, right? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. It'll, <laughs> it'll be a whole different ball game. Like I, I, I see my children entering the workforce and I go, you know, they are not the one or the two. <laughs> no, okay. Listen, after being on book tour at high schools in the, the last 10 days, I'm telling you, uh, these young adults are not here for, for the drama, but th I think that that's the part we, d we have to equip them with the tools now so that when yeah. they get to be our age, they don't shrink. Right. And those mm -hmm. voices that they were so ambiguous and so boisterous, they don't shrink because we cultivated the n next generation of leaders. 
you know? Yes. What do your conversations look like with, as you encourage young people, you know, in terms of getting into the workplace and the expectations that they could have? And what are some of the, I guess, guiding points that you would give to parents in terms of having those conversations as well? Absolutely. You know, one of the reasons that I wrote You Were More Than Magic, my young adult book, is because we do see that this generation is very fearless, right? Many of them. But we know that through experiences, that fearless becomes just fear and then they won't use their voice, right? And so Mm -hmm. I didn't want that to change. I wanted us to be able to cultivate that. And I think if you grew up in a certain generation, many of our parents didn't allow us to be able to use our voices in ways, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, whenever you try to, you're getting smart, you're talking back, you know? So we we are from a certain generation where you weren't able to really say what you needed yes. to say in a very respectful way. And so I think that parents and guardians right now have to be very careful that the tools that we had may not be the best tools that we want to pass on to our children, no, you know, the ones Yeah. And so we want to be able to say, yes, let's have a thoughtful conversation where you at least feel comfortable and safe to tell me how you feel. And I hear you out. Then we engage in a two way conversation. And I think part of that, if they can get that in the home, then they're not as fearful in school. They're not as fearful with their first manager. Right. And I think that that's partly that that point of having difficult conversations. If we master that and boundaries. If they learn how to create boundaries with their friends, with their coaches, those sorts of things, then those are easy. Those are the soft leadership yeah. skills that they're going to need to be successful going forward. Yes. I love that. Thank you. That's such great advice. I really appreciate you sharing that. I got to ask you, having gone through everything that you've gone through, written books, taken tours, shared your story all over the world, how do you practice self-care for yourself? Yeah, that, <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but, but I do think, you know, partly is having people surrounding me to say when too much is too much. So for example, when I was doing kind of all my scheduling myself, I could book my day till I go to sleep, right? But now I have, you know, people on my team who I can delegate or um, Leo, who is my chief of staff, who helps me very with everything. I can say, okay, if I've hit four meetings today, I need three hour break in between. Like if I've been on Zoom calls back to back to back on that fourth one, I need a telephone call because I need a break from the computer, you know? So not being afraid to say these things Mm -hmm. that I know give me fuel, right? Because there's only one me. And and every time I tell my story, I'm re-triggering certain traumas. And so I do also know that I'm not superwoman. So I also need to take the that space to rest, uh, yeah. even if it's an hour. Uh, but I've definitely been more intentional about it in 2022. Beautiful. I love that. Thank you for sharing. What is next for Minda Hearts? That's a great question. Uh, right now, you know, I have three babies, the memo right within and you are more than magic. And so for <laughs> me, I really want to nurture them uh, grow them and get them out to those who need it because there's still people who are hurting, who feel like they're not seen and heard in the workplace. And there's a next generation who's wondering if there's a space for them. And so I'm going to continue, um, you know, raising the flag for, for us in the workplace. And then hopefully um, we'll, we'll see what happens next. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I'm excited for whatever comes next for you and I will continue cheering you on from over here in Barbados. You're doing amazing work. Don't give up. Don't stop. 
Thank you. I appreciate that. Cause some days I'm like, am I, is this working? Is this helping? And you know, I, I appreciate your, your support and the way that you use your platform as well. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Where can our audience find you on social media? Where can they purchase your books? Um, and if they wanted you to speak, where can they engage in your service? Yeah. So the best place to go is mindahearts.com and then connect with me on your favorite social platform, wherever you like to engage, find me there. And then you can also click the link on my books and buy them wherever you like to buy your books. I even recorded all three audio audio books. So if you uh, are more of a a, a reader that likes to listen to to the author, then that's an option as well. Beautiful. I want to ask you any final words that you want to give to organizations toxic organization. You know what? Side note, this is a sidebar. <laughs> but just a question, like, what are your thoughts on the recent news that we had with um, Elon Musk telling people, his people at Tesla, you know, either come to work for 40, 40 hour minimums per week or find somewhere else to be? Uh, you know what? I, I don't like that type of leadership because, um, you already know that's toxic when you're giving ultimatums like that, especially yep. we're in a, a syndemic, multiple pandemics happening at once. So you can't talk to your talent like that. That means mm-hmm. you don't care about their well-being, right? Let's have a conversation about what it looks like to get to 40 hours where everyone feels comfortable working that way. There's a different way in which you can articulate that, but he is ruling with an iron fist and you know that that's only going to create more toxicity. And I also realize that many people who probably work at Tesla might need that job, right? Yeah. So if you do have to stay there, think about planning your exit strategy because it's only going to get worse. It's not going to get better. And you can't do your best work um, when you're abused. You definitely cannot. Definitely cannot. Thank you for sharing that. I was happy to see Atlassian um, open their doors for Tesla employees. And I was like, welcome, come on in. You can work from anywhere here. <laughs> And that's and I, leadership. That's I, leadership saying, well, you got options, right? Yes. Tesla isn't the only shop in town. And I think that's, that's important. It. That's it. I love it. Any final um, thoughts that you want to share with our audience on your book on workplace toxicity, how we can, as people, make our organizations a better place to be? You know, I, I just want to remind everybody that you may never experience sexism, you may never experience racism, you may never experience homophobia or ageism or any other ism that many people experience in the workplace, but it doesn't mean it's not happening with someone that reports into you or that you work with. So what are you going to do in your microcosm to make it better, make it safer for somebody else, right? And I think sometimes it's easy for those of us who've never experienced to say, oh, that doesn't happen here, but that is happening to somebody else. And if that is the case, What are we doing to remove barriers instead of creating more for our employees? And then the other question is, our goal should not be to get back to normal. It should get, we should be trying to get to better. So what does better look like? And so we all have a choice. We can either be courageous and get to better, or we can keep functioning in caution and continue to create cycles of abuse and unsafe workplaces for people. And so we all have a role to play in that. And I think if we all lean into that, Uh, then we create a better and healthy environment that benefits everybody. Definitely. I couldn't have um, asked for better words to close out our show today. I want to thank you so much, um, Minda. You've really given people a lot of food for thought. If you have not purchased any of these books, I 
highly recommend that you purchase all three. Um, you are more than magic. Even though Minda has written that book for young people, <laughs> we as parents need to read that book. If you're a parent, if you're an aunt, a sister, a brother, you need to read that book to have conversations with your younger people in your family, in your circle of friends to help them to understand the powers in their hands when they enter the world of work, the expectations that they have and how they can be safe at work or safe in life in general. It really is a, a gem for all, right? Absolutely. Yes. So thank you, Minda. I wish you all the best. And I look forward to continuing to follow your journey and ways that we can continuously support each other. Thank you. I would love that. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me for this episode of HR Sound Off. I hope that you found it useful. You can find this and all of the episodes of HR Sound Off on all major podcast platforms. Spotify, Apple, Amazon, you name it, we're there. Remember, HR Sound Off is created by HR professionals for HR professionals. If you would like to share your story, then reach out to us and let us know. Make sure to hit the notification bell and subscribe to HR Sound Off on YouTube as well as Podbean. And we'll see you again when we next sound off.